Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, here at the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Interesting day here. Kind of cloudy. It's a really true spring day. It's a little steamy outside, a little muggy, because the skies would really like to release the rain. They're having a hard time doing it. But everything is right on the cusp. You know how it is at the beginning of spring? You have the cold weather, and then you have those warm days, and you have a little cold snap, and you get some more warm. The birds start returning and singing, and you see the little wildlife creatures out there, and everything's starting to pop up from the ground and bud up from the trees. You're right on the cusp of beautiful, glorious, and fabulous, but it just needs a little nurturing, a little warmth, a little bit of kindness. And isn't that really the way that we are as human beings? Aren't we always really on the cusp of the next best thing that we can do, that we're going to be doing, that we're dreaming of doing? When you live in that kind of a mindset, You put yourself in the position of always looking forward, always looking to cultivate the next best for yourself. This is a technique I actually learned from a guy who was a photographer for National Geographic, and he explained how he would take literally six or seven hundred photos to get the one that he thought was going to be good enough for that magazine, for that magazine page. For that magazine article. So for one article, he would take thousands and thousands of photos because he was always taking it thinking, this is good. Wait, the light just shifted. What is the next best shot? I invite you to think that way in the midst of incorporating kindness into your life on the deepest level. Today's show is sponsored by Partners in Excellence, where the reach really is continually every day for what I just described, that reach, reaching as best and as high as you can for what you can actually become in terms of the best version of you. I have a really good person on the show today. It's Dr. Judy Cook, who is a physician. She's a psychiatrist, and her theme on her website at GoDrJudy.com, is Psychiatrist for Inner Peace. Learn to live life happier and healthy. Healthier. She's a really interesting gal. I met Dr. Judy through my Steve Harrison Bradley Communications Mastermind groups, which is so powerful. It's just an amazing group of people who are all committed to what I'm just describing to you. And her book is called To Die or Not to Die, Ten Tricks to Getting Better Better Medical Care. So who doesn't need to know more about that? Dr. Judy, good morning. Are you with us? Good morning. I am, Deb. How are you this morning? I am absolutely thrilled that you're on the show with us, and I'm so eager to have you share your years of expertise in healthcare and in psychiatry with our listeners and help them understand the book, To Die or Not to Die, 
10 Tricks to Getting Better Medical Care and having everybody feel enlightened and hopeful about the kindness that they can actually receive in the middle of their medical care in America's somewhat frenetic situation and pace when it comes to health care. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) So, Dr. Judy, what was it that propelled you to write To Die or Not to Die? What's that about? Well, I am, uh, I've been in psychiatric practice for about 35 years now and had been wanting to write books for a long time and am approaching retiring at this point uh, as I'm 74 years old. And I love what I do helping people, and I wanted to continue doing that, but in a different venue where I could reach more people. Right. And as I was thinking about books to write, all of the typical psychiatric things came through, and I still have a plan for writing those, but it occurred to me that there were so many issues that patients didn't understand about the problems for doctors and the problems for themselves that are involved in getting the best medical care that they can get. Uh, And it was a problem not just for me, but for doctors generally. So with my sense that the mind and body are connected and you want to take good care of mind and body, I wanted to empower people to take more charge of their lives in that area uh, as a part of loving themselves better. So that was my first book. Fabulous. And so as a psychiatrist and as a psychologist, both the two of us sitting here on this show, you and I have spent a lot of time in hospitals, in locked psychiatric wards, open psychiatric wards, transitional facilities. Can we help those people as well as people who might not be suffering from really severe psychiatric problems to the point where they need hospitalization? Oh, absolutely. Um, Many of them, of course, need some medication, uh, but many of them are just overwhelmed with what's going on in their lives, which then kind of overwhelms uh, their underlying disease. But I treat people, you know, with even the more serious things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, And, you know, with love and kindness and helping them understand their disease and, when necessary, medications as well, uh, there's a lot of progress that can be made. Uh, One of the important things that's happened, of course, in psychiatry in the 40 years or so I've been in it uh, is not just that we've developed medications and therapy techniques, but there are a great many medical issues that we can now sort out as causing those problems in our brain so that when we fix the medical issues uh, that we couldn't pick up before, um, endocrine problems, tumors, head injuries, things of that sort, uh, and also we must not forget drug abuse and alcohol abuse, uh, as we're able to help people with those things, um, a lot of times they wind up not needing to go back into psychiatric hospitals. Mm -hmm. I I have a very large percentage of my patients that when I first meet them in a psychiatric hospital 
Um, they may have even been in there several times before, but it's very rare for me to have to have a patient go back in the hospital a second time. So does that attest to things that are treatable? I believe it does. Holy cow, wait a second. That is amazing. I've never worked with a psychiatrist who was able to have that kind of a track uh, track record. Say more about that. That's amazing. Well, I mean, to me, I feel like I haven't done my job if I don't get people managed well in the outpatient environment after I get them uh, out of the hospital. Uh, And it's a matter of, you know, you have to relate to your patients as human beings, Uh, not a diagnosis, not a subject for writing pills to, but as a human being who's hurting. Uh, And I have even a patient who is schizophrenic, and I actually had him, uh, after quite a bit of therapy that wasn't quite getting to him, read a book called The Magic, which helps him look at all the things to be grateful for in life. And uh, it truly worked like magic on him, helping him not only overcome his psychosis, but ironically, his psoriasis got better. Wow. And and so this whole thing of learning to love yourself, appreciate yourself, care for yourself, uh, does so much to people to heal themselves, both physically and mentally. And, you know, most psychiatrists these days are only trained to give medicines, which is, I think, so unfortunate. I'm blessed because I grew up in a day when we didn't have many medicines. And so what we did was psychotherapy. And our job was, even then, as I saw it, to try and heal that person to the point that they didn't need to keep going in the hospital. Right. Right. So it sounds to me like I, as I'm listening to you, like a a percentage of what we need to do in health care is genuinely really deliver care and enlighten people about things that if everybody were educated, tuned into their mind and body from a very young age, maybe would be preventable. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. There are so many preventive things that people can do. And, of course, nowadays for the mental we have so many overloads with the changes that we've had in social structure, family structure, all the technology that's available. So I think people need even a little more help in getting themselves grounded and getting through that. But people have been so trained these days by the media, by the drug companies, by whatever, to reach for the magic fix, the magic pill, the magic this, the magic instant something or other, rather than, you know, if I have a weight problem, I need to look at how I'm eating, how I'm exercising, how I'm feeling about myself, what might be driving me to not take care of myself, and learn the things to do that, Uh, without reaching for the latest magic pill that's an extract of some wonderful potion tree from East Tanganyika or something, uh, and focus on themselves 
And again, a very big part of that is learning to love themselves for who they are and what they are and not always having to jump to somebody else's drummer. I think that's one of the most important mental and physical preventive things we can do for ourselves. You know, I love that you're saying all this. It's it's so unfortunate that during um, previous eras in our culture when people have really called to, had a call to action for self-reflection, there were so many negative things that happened in terms of people being so overly narcissistic and, and self-indulgent because the message really got tainted that self-love is the first important ingredient in well-being. And you're echoing that right here. I mean, you're not just echoing that. That's your stance. Mm-hmm. Well, and and there's, you know, people who are narcissistic personalities, very often at, at the root of that is some sort of severe injury to their core belief about themselves. Right. And so they then wind up picking on others to try and prove they're okay instead of learning to appreciate their own okayness, and it throws things out of whack. You know, they may pick on others. They may overly brag on themselves. They may put down others. And yet it's more often out of low self-esteem than truly excess self-esteem. They're sort of trying to fake it till they make it, but in a way Mm. that really isn't helping them. Mm. So when did you start... Have you always been this way, or when did you start making a turn in the direction of this kind of messaging? You know, I I think it's been something that has evolved over my entire career. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic family, so I know a lot about those injuries uh, to the psyche and needing to learn to focus on what's right in life instead of what's wrong in life and learning what's right about me uh, in that process as well. And as I have learned that for myself, I've learned that it's a very effective tool for teaching others. And I I see the change in them going from depressed and down and out and feeling hopeless and helpless to being actually much more loving of others as they learn to truly just love themselves for who they are instead of, many of them absolutely hating themselves and thinking about destroying their lives because they feel so bad or destroying yeah. others because they think that's going to make them feel better. It's absolutely horrifying. Mm-hmm. So are the ten tips, the ten chapters that are in your book? Um, actually, there are a whole lot more tips than that. Um <laughs> The generosity so, model. Uh, reading reading the book will tell you uh, a lot uh, about things you can do uh, really to uh, address your medical care in ways that, you know, save you time, save you money, uh, save you problems, and could even save your life. For those people who are listening and they're feeling their anxiety or what they believe is anxiety, and they're feeling their depression or what they believe is their depression, and they're just believing that they are stuck and they don't know where to go and they don't really want to do medicine, they're afraid of it, maybe they're even taking some of it. 
how do we get them to take the first steps? I think one of the important things we do for people is to encourage them to realize it is not at all abnormal or pathological to have problems and questions and issues. And I think that's a worse problem in a day when we have less attachment with our nuclear families and our extended families than people used to have. Uh, People used to be able to talk to aunts and uncles and grandparents and whatever, and that's not available for them to be able to talk and and be told, oh, gee, I do that too. Uh, But to reassure people every chance we get that this doesn't mean they're a freak, it doesn't mean they're terrible, that there are hundreds and thousands and even millions of other people who have these problems and there is hope and You've you've solved the problem by bringing it out in the open and shining a light on it and working on it rather than running from it. We can never solve a problem by running away from it. And if they don't like the idea of medications, I mean, certainly any patient who comes to me and says, I don't want medications, I just want therapy, I have no problem helping them with that. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are many, many good people like yourself who are out there providing counseling for people, uh, helping them think through these processes, helping them look at life in a different way that is going to make it more positive and productive and happy for them. <clears throat> and, and, and again, uh, the important thing is encourage people, come out of the closet about your pain and problems before they get so big that you really can't deal with them. Right. So I noticed that you had done a video um, about Robin Williams after his um, so unfortunate end of life. And you called that video Robin Williams' death and coming out of the closet about mental illness. For those people listening who haven't been able to see that video yet, Share with us what your perspective is about what what happened with Robin Williams. I mean, obviously, unless you tell me something different, you and I didn't know him, but mm-hmm. there were things that were communicated about him, and we certainly were observers of him for a good mm-hmm. many years while he was in the entertainment industry. So what what is it that you are eager to share about his end-of-life situation? You know, what I'm eager to share is that there are many people uh, like Robin, and and I have to say I had my own issues with this, where they put on this wonderful, happy face that in many ways may well be at some level a masquerade. And they do that as a way of, again, hiding their pain, sometimes from themselves, sometimes from others, it's sort of an overreaction uh, or an overcompensation for what's going on. Now, I understand that he also had a drinking problem, and drinking is often another way of masking that underlying pain that people go through. And, again, people are afraid to come out because they still have this fear of being branded as 
crazy and therefore defective and everybody's going to think they're terrible and then nobody's wanting anything to do with them and they'll look at them as freaks and they'll have trouble keeping a job and all of that. And that really is not the case. We're in a much more enlightened time. But again, if you don't look at your problem, you can't solve it. And, And I don't care what problem that is, whether it's a mental problem, a physical problem, a problem with the flat tire on your car. If you don't look at it and admit it's there, then how do you fix it? You know, and our emotional things- issues are no different. Uh, they can be helped with good counseling, uh, but you have to get out there. And the other thing is that sometimes this is driven as well by underlying medical things. And because of the shame and because of the fear, people don't want to go and tell their doctor, you know, I'm feeling really depressed and I'm tired and I'm not sleeping and I'm worried all the time and yada, yada, yada. So they don't tell the doctor so that the doctor can then work them up and make sure that there's not something medical that could be driving that that's also very treatable. Mm. You know, one of the things that I, I... Feel so sad about is the reality that people, and I I have no idea if Robin Williams had a, a drug or alcohol challenge, but anytime people are trying to get out of their head, when that is the only place where we can be, and they want to alter it so much, and and I've certainly been guilty of it at various points across the course of my life, but I sure have turned a bend for a long time not wanting to have alcohol influence my perceptions or any kind of uh, 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 chemical inducement alter my perceptions and cause me to see things in some way other than what is directed by me, not by some intervening variable of some sort like a drug or alcohol, people, don't you think people need to learn how to not just love themselves but understand that they are in control of their thoughts and their perceptions? Absolutely, they need to learn that. But many, many people uh, start hiding from their pain at a very early age. I have to say it's a rare event for me to see an alcoholic or a drug addict that is not trying to get away from some sort of emotional pain or some sort of underlying major mental illness. And and again, when you face the problem and when you say there's another way to solve this and you give up the fear and the panic, uh, A, that somehow you're defective, and B, that you can never be helped, then a lot can be done for you. Mm-hmm. So, how do you get people to how do you get people to learn that, Judy, with the all the all the things that you have to take into consideration? How do you teach your patients that they actually are in control of their mind? <laughs> By <clears throat> going over them, over things with them repeatedly, and helping them with examples of how they do it. You know, when somebody comes in, for example, and and they're talking about how bad something is, 
You know, I say, so what's the opposite of that? We sit and go through example after example of different ways they can look at the same event and see it as a positive or see it as a negative. And I teach them that they have a choice, that they're in charge, and that what they focus on is going to expand. So if they focus on how bad something is, they're going to find more and more stuff that they think is bad, and they're going to feel worse and worse. And the same is true in the opposite direction. And and we really, really work on taking steps and practice that in here, and they're assigned homework to go practice that at home as well. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of teaching them uh, repeatedly how to look at ways where they take control of their thoughts and begin to see how this takes control of their feelings and gives them the power that they no longer need to have this depression, reach out for something else to cover their feelings, their shame, their blame, their their low self-esteem, that they can begin to look at things in a different way where they are in control without these other aids. Mm. That's fabulous. And do people get excited when they start to learn that they can do these things? Oh, do they ever. And, <laughs> you know, that they start jumping up and down saying, oh, my gosh, Dr. Cook, I'm so happy you've, you've changed my life. You know, and what really gets me is when they say, you know, I used to not want to live and I don't feel that way anymore. I'm enjoying my life. And that's the big payoff for me, you know. Yes, that's the ultimate prize. I, I have that that same experience, and I love that. When people tell you they've rounded the bend, and it's yes. all good. So it really is. You also it's talk in, major in, your, in, in your video about some of the issues facing America with their health care challenges. What do you think is going on? Because you've been pretty outspoken, and I love that about you. You know, people are wringing their hands that health care in America is broken. You can't get good health care anymore. We have to change everything. What's your perspective, Dr. Cook? Well, there have been a lot of things that have happened in American health care and worldwide health care that certainly are very wonderful uh, and our incredible improvements uh, in medications, in surgery, um, in a number of things. But, you know, we are the only industrialized nation on the planet that does not have single-payer health care for everyone. Now, we have some variants of evil socialized medicine uh, with Medicare, with Medicaid, with TRICARE, with the, the VA health care system. Um but we don't have it for the population as a whole. What we have is a quote-unquote free market system where business can run their business as they want and then people partake of it, but it is not truly a free market system. It's a system that's stacked against them where for so much of time uh, it's been dictated more and more by the big business interest in medicine, the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the uh, hospital chains, um, the equipment people. And so they have sort of run amok with their greed. 
Right. And, you know, my my fantasy is that at some point that greed is going to cause them to collapse in on themselves because people simply will not be able to pay for it anymore. Um, ironically, uh, there's a lot of concierge medicine arising now, uh, and it's like people pay the doctor directly uh, a certain fee every month, and then they get taken care of based on that fee, unless there are some, you know, really big other things. And the doctors have more time to spend with the patients. Uh, the patients feel better taken care of. They have more access to their doctors than they had before, and the doctors have more time and can enjoy their practice more. Uh, it's been really horrible for us as doctors in that more and more of our time gets taken away. Insurance companies are willing to pay for less and less, just like patients have to fight harder and harder uh, to get things paid for that they're entitled to. So we have to jump through more hoops to document more, to file paperwork over and over, to get paid less and have less time to be able to spend with our patients. It's more like we're being given to, directed to treat a chart and a disease instead of a patient, and that sort of laying on of hands is is being pushed away, and and that's the very heart of where we heal people. We relate to them as a person. We get to know them. We find out what's going on. We find out not just their physical problems, but the emotional stressors that may be driving them, and and that's been taken away from doctors. Um, we have these electronic health records that are supposed to be the great answer to everything, and everybody's got a different system, and none of them talk to each other, and they take a lot more time. And patients think that they can rely on doctors using those records and it's going to communicate to everybody, and it doesn't. And that's part of why I advise patients even very simple things like you keep a a list of every one of your medicines, including over-the-counter, all your allergies, and you take that with you and you make sure that every doctor you go to sees that so that you don't wind up getting other medicines you don't need that counteract or increase the effect to make you sick uh, uh, and, and things like that, and also carry it so that if you are in a car wreck or you pass out or whatever, your first responders have a better idea of what's going on so that they can treat you more appropriately, more quickly. And that's just one of the things I stress that's a simple thing that patients can and need to do to help themselves and help their doctors in this environment that's getting more and more chaotic. Uh, And I think the other thing patients do is not do this knee-jerk reaction of the minute a little something is wrong to immediately run to the emergency room or run to the doctor insisting on a medicine instead of looking at, you know, I I can watch this a day or two and then I can go to my family practitioner if it continues but I don't have to run to the emergency room and get a whole bunch of meds and then surgery because I've got some little pain somewhere. Mhm. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's amazing. A colleague of mine and I were meeting, and I was meeting him at his medical practice. I walked in, and he was very flustered and shared with me a check that he had just gotten from, from Medicare. It's mm-hmm. a Medicare reimbursement check and it was for 11 cents. Uh-huh. 
And people in our culture have a belief that if you have the initials behind your name and you're a doctor of any sort, Ph.D. or M.D., you are incredibly wealthy and life must be really a breeze. And the myth of that is that along the lines that you're speaking, it seems like healthcare has become more about accounting and accountants wanting to make things line up. Not like that's not important, but when managed care first came on the scene, my concern was that we had people who were not physicians who were directing physicians and mandating how they manage a patient. Oh, mangled care has been a disaster. Absolutely. Yes, it you is know, mangled you know. care. And I love the part that you put in your in your last uh, response to my last question here about the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is where the real, true healing actually happens. When you spend time with the patient, when you know who that human being is, you know what they're thinking, you know how their mind works, you know what they're feeling, you know what they're experiencing physiologically so that you can put it all together. It's the essence of what the original psychiatrists wrote about when they were talking about the psyche and the soma and started mm-hmm. talking and writing about psychosomatic medicine. People, mm-hmm. unfortunately, think that, think that that means hypochondriasis when it isn't. It really is that our mm-hmm. mind and our body and our spirit work together either in harmony to make us well or to make us sick. And, and oh, a- absolutely, yes. What do we do about that loss? Because people can learn how to do it, but we always need the expert professional practitioners. So what is the answer for that? You know, it's tough. I mean, what I'm trying to do is my answer is to try and put more information out uh, in a public forum, and that's what you're trying to do as well. And I think more of us have to come together and do that so that people have some additional resources to turn to. But certainly, I mean, yeah, psychosomatic illness does not mean you're faking it or you're trying to get attention. What that usually means is you're working so hard to stuff your feelings and not bother other people, and then you're coming out with an illness in your body that's trying to tell you, hey, pay attention, you've got emotional problems. And, in fact, I made the switch from pathology to psychiatry when I recognized how much that was happening. And the people were having surgeries and treatments for these illnesses when the real cause of the illness was their emotional pain that they were afraid to admit they had and afraid to get help for, for fear they were branded crazy, locked up, branded lazy, whatever. Right. So part of what we have to do is educate people that it's not only okay, it's important <clears throat> to reach for that kind of help. <clears throat> and that's going to cut down on their physical problems as well. Right. It's so vital. When I, what I've learned to do when I start to get sick, mm-hmm. like over the last few days, I, I I started with an earache and then I had a sore throat for about a day, and each of these things lasted maybe about fifteen, eighteen hours, 
mm-hmm. I really quieted down and tried to get very reflective about what it was that my body was trying to tell me mm-hmm. I was not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And the real was I did have an earache because I really wasn't listening. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't like a whole lot of what I was hearing over the last week, and so it really did ache my ear. And mm-hmm. then when I went to speak, it was it was so hurtful. It mm-hmm. was I could feel the agony from my heart coming through my voice. And mm-hmm. I I I went to bed early the last two nights and prayed and meditated and thought and reflected and allowed myself to feel every part of it. And I, this morning, felt my healing as a result of those practices. Now, in addition to that, there's products that I use like, you know, herbal teas and and healthy lozenges, and those really help. Mm-hmm. But those would mean nothing unless the power of my mind and my spirit were in working in conjunction with them. Absolutely. And I, yeah, so see this doesn't this doesn't sound strange to you at all. This is really something significant we have to teach people, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the and the body is really very good at giving pretty clear messages if you learn how to listen. I mean, just yesterday I had a lady in here and, you know, she was telling me about problems that she had, and I started kind of going through, and I said, well, you know, you were having stomach aches. What's going on in your life that you can't stomach? And we came up with something, and more dramatic than that, she talked about a few years before, she'd been having a little bit of heart stuff, but all of a sudden, within five months, she went from a pretty healthy heart to a major heart attack and having heart surgery. And I said, so what was breaking your heart in your life? Right. She'd had a death of someone very dear to her, but she had been stuffing her feelings and not dealing with it. And that is what had literally broken her heart. And our body communicates to us that clearly, just like there was something wrong with your ear. You weren't hearing things the way you wanted to. Right. And 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 again, you know, having somebody help you through, you know, that that guide uh, of what your body's telling you so that you can deal with it. And, you know, the universe gives us feelings for a reason. Right. And, and to try to run away and hide from them, that's not noble. And, and yet so often we were taught, oh, don't bother other people with your feelings. Don't be a sissy. Don't be overdramatic. Don't be this, that, or the other. When, in fact, Bringing those feelings out is the very thing that would heal mind and body. There have been plenty of doctors in oncology who have seen the changes. Somebody suddenly starts dealing with whatever their emotional issue is, often because now that they're on their deathbed, they don't feel like they've got to stuff it anymore, and all of a sudden, very rapidly, they're free of their illness. You know, yeah. Barney Siegel wrote Love, Medicine, and Miracles and some other books about that whole process. He'd been a cancer surgeon. You're right. And when he had two patients in rapid succession 
whose cancer all of a sudden disappeared. He says, wait a minute, i got to figure out what's going on here. Right. And that was in the early days of what we call holistic medicine. We started looking at the whole person and, and what's really going on with them. Well, and I I um I have my own personal story about that from 30 years ago when I had a a terrible disease with open lesions in my lungs mm-hmm. and uh, I was told that eventually all my organs would have lesions in them, and I would, I would die. I was, I was in my early twenties. I was twenty-two years old, and wow. I had to, and really think. I'd already been in, I'd already learned herbology and acupuncture, and I was thinking holistically, and I had to think about what it was. That was causing me to feel like I was literally bleeding to death. What was, what was my bloodletting about? And, it, and I was grieving, mm-hmm. and I was grieving a heavy loss, an enormous disappointment. And when I worked through that and worked through it with the traditional medicine and my my acupuncture doctors, I I was healed. It took about seven months, but I was healed. And then what? traditional medicine said was it's a miracle mm-hmm. <laughs> the acupuncture eastern physician said was no it's not it's whole body medicine mm-hmm. this is yeah. people well we have to deal with what are what are the emotional issues that are causing mm-hmm. a person's energy to to shift so dramatically that their whole body is held captive by what's happening to them in their mind and their heart. Right. And and grief, as you point out, is often a very big factor. Huge. So, you know, if there are issues you're grieving about, you need to get some help dealing with it, getting it out, so you can become whole again and, and move on from what's gone on in your body. And, and, again, we have those emotions for a reason, and they should not be stuffed down any more than we should close our eyes and blind ourselves because we've got a problem. You know, I it's, wish it's, our, our emotions are another way of sensing our world and dealing with it, just as our, our, our skin feelings are and our, our vision and our hearing. They're ways of contacting the world, and we need to pay attention just as much as we pay attention to something that we see or hear or touch. When I look at how many elderly people get pneumonia and die of pneumonia and the literature that there is about respiratory illness and grief and sadness, mm-hmm. I wish that every single time a person who is elderly came down with pneumonia, we would wrap our arms around them and and sit with them and spend time with them. Take them home. Mm-hmm. Because that that seems to be prevalent among our seniors, doesn't it? Particularly when it, it is, and as I'm approaching <clears throat> my senior years myself, yeah. uh, I'm more tuned in to the fact, too, that there's a very real grief yeah. over feeling that you're coming toward the end of your usefulness and your purpose in life. Yeah. And the people you love around you are starting to die, so there's grieving about that. And there's a, just a whole lot of grieving about the whole set of changes, and that can choke people up and cause yep. them to quit breathing. 
It, it it really does. How do people how do people learn what it is you do and benefit from what you have to offer all of us, Judy? At this point, the way for people to learn is that I am putting more and more stuff on my website, which is godrjudy.com. Okay. You can spell doctor either way. Okay. <laughs> I had some people say, God, our Judy? Come on, you're a little high on yourself. It's supposed to be go, Dr. Judy. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also have a Facebook fan page. It's just Judy Cook, MD, in Sherman, Texas, because um, there are other Judy Cooks out there. Uh, and I'm posting more and more information on those sites uh, to be helpful to people. Uh, I'm going yeah. to start doing some YouTube videos uh, toward that end, and they'll also be posted on those sites. And I want to write more books because, you know, I love helping people one-on-one in my office. I've done it 35 years. And as I say, it, it's a total thrill to see somebody be able to turn their life around and go from misery to joy. But I'm greedy, Deb. I want to help thousands of people. If I can help millions of people, all the better. And so that's what I'm going to retire into is doing that kind of thing so that I can help more people. And I might do like you and see about having a blog talk radio show too and see if I can help more people that way because, you know, there's there's so much out there to be learned and I think there are fewer and fewer of us out there teaching people and insurance certainly makes it harder and harder for people to get able to make a living doing that. Right. So we've got well, to take some and approach some other fronts with, with how we do it. Right. You know, um, I'm wondering, do you, do you ever do events? Do you do talks? Um, I am available to do talks, and I'm in the process of setting up more of that. My my practice has been so busy. I mean, you, when I'm sitting here and I've got a three- or four-month waiting list for new patients to get in, it hasn't left me a lot of time to do that. But I'm planning on basically retiring except for a few of my therapy patients probably around Independence Day. And so we're in the process now of of letting people know that I'm going to be available to do talks. I'm going to start setting up to do events. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm working with some people who are a lot more skilled in knowing how to set that up so that I can get that done and I can reach out and help people Mm -hmm. in, in other forums. And so what's the significance of Independence Day, Dr. Cook? My independence from (laughs) uh, being unable to reach thousands and thousands of people, independence from from being chained to a medical system that has transformed itself so dramatically that I think it impairs my ability to help people. So independence from this system that has gotten sick and I don't see it healing itself within my practicing lifetime. Yeah. So I'm setting myself independent to go help people in a whole different way. So talk about on your website, I'm sitting here looking at it, and you've got a section called Forms. Tell our listeners mm-hmm. who aren't at their website to find there. Um, those are just some very simple forms, including the one to help you know how to list your critical information, including your meds and your allergies. Uh, and there's a, a simple form 
for how to put together your history because, uh, you know, the more you can walk in, there's another form also about, you know, what's bothering you right now that you want to talk to the doctor about and then place on the bottom where you can make notes about what the doctor told you. Mm-hmm. Because when you're not feeling good, it can be hard to remember all that stuff. Right. If you're on a lot of medicines, it's it's hard to remember it. And so that's just like we talked about before, about take that list with you all the time. But these are things that, forms that you can use that make it easier for you to put your information together so that you can clearly communicate it to the doctor in a brief period of time so that the doctor and their staff have more time to actually talk to you about the problem and resolve it instead of spending all their time trying to figure out what you're really in there for. Right. So it's some tools you can use to help yourself, again, get better care in a very difficult and stressed situation. Well, and advising people also to take these forms and have them available in your home and so that the people who are closest to you know, because sometimes somebody doesn't even know what their own family members are taking or what their disorders are, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, You know, since I put the book out, the the, the EMTs, you know, have come through here and they say, you know, more people are keeping lists of their medicines and that's so helpful. He says, but you know, people used to keep it on their refrigerator. Right. That was really good because if we came in an emergency, boy, it was right there. Uh, So especially if you have significant medical problems, that's a really, really good idea to have. And like you're right, you know, a lot of times the family and the neighbors don't know either. uh, And for whatever reason, you haven't told them because you're embarrassed because of whatever. But those are simple things to do to help protect yourself, and I encourage everybody to do that. So people should make these lists, make them readily available, have them in an obvious place in their house, like on the refrigerator where a first responder is going to look or a loved one can look. And Mm -hmm. as you're getting older, maybe you're living by yourself, kids or grandkids come to visit, they'll at least know where to look. And if you don't want to have it right on the front, at least put it on the side of the refrigerator, right? Right. And then make right. sure that your doctors, all of your doctors have copies of all of that. Right. Yeah, and and every doctor should have a list of everything you're taking including every over the counter drug, every homeopathic drug, you know, every, you know, compounded drug, anything you can think of, you know, vitamins even are important. You know, yep. if you're taking uh, certain vitamins and, and, you know, you've got heart disease, well, those can thin your blood and it can affect what happens with your blood thinner. So even simple things like that that might seem unimportant to you can be very important in the doctor knowing the best way to treat you without making you worse. You, so, you've got to be a team player these days. You can't just sit back and say, oh, doctor, you're so wonderful. Please do all of this for me because, you know, you've got to be a player and, and let let us know what's going on. Yeah, the mystery runs way too deep. Nobody has yeah. time to try and unravel somebody's mystery without them participating. And right. and it, what what are your thoughts A lot of people come to me and they want to learn how to be their own best advocate, which I certainly teach people how to do, but I always teach it in the context of you have got to do two additional things. One, you have got to develop the relationship between you and every single care provider that you have. 
so that they know you well and they know you ill, and so that you have a human-to-human connect, and you need to figure out who your advocates are for you in the event that you're not feeling your best or maybe you can't even speak. And it, it is how many people don't put all that in motion, isn't it? It, it, it is amazing. It, it's also amazing uh, to know that 60% of people do not comply with their doctor's recommendations. And then they go in and say they are, and the doctor's wondering why they're not getting better. And it's like they don't care enough to take care of themselves properly and work with the doctor. And again, you know, with the doctor thinking you're doing one thing and you're doing another, you're really putting yourself at risk. Okay. And and if it's because you have problems with memory, take an advocate with you. Take a family member who can, can help. Uh, but then also use that form. Write things down so that you remember. Because you go in, you're not feeling good. Yeah, you're going to forget things to say. You're going to forget what the doctor tells you. Make it easy on yourself and write it down so that you don't have to play guess games. Right. And And another thing is, you know... It's great to go online and educate yourself, mm-hmm. but beware, because there are so many flakes out there nowadays uh, putting out medical information, uh, and some of those people can't even spell biology, much less understand anything about it and give you any good advice about medical issues. There are a lot of them just hyping their own alternative medicine uh, that is totally unregulated. Um, you don't even know what's in it. Sometimes the FDA goes and inspects even some of these that are over the counter, and they don't actually have the products in them that they say they do. Right. So you've got to go to fairly credible sites and credible people, uh, and that's a part of being your own advocate as well. Learn more about your disease from resources that are good, legitimate resources, and that can be, you know, websites. It can also be organizations that specialize in the disease you have, the American Diabetes Association, the, the Manic Depressive Bipolar Association, what, um, National Alliance for Mental Illness, uh, things like that. But there are also, you know, outstanding medical centers that have very good educational websites. And, and avail yourself of those. You know, even if their information may not all fit, it allows you to think and ask questions and go looking additional places and bring it up with your doctor, and, and that's all an important thing to do. Right. Yeah, one of the things I don't think people know about is um, that when they go online, anybody can have a website and nothing on the Internet is regulated. None of it is right. monitored. Anybody can say whatever they want, and it's a free fall. So if you're it, wanting it absolutely to get, is. if you're wanting to get good medical help, you should look to see if somebody's got the initials after their name, and then dive a little bit deeper yeah. and make sure that yeah. they actually own those initials. You know, like Dr. Judy Cook or Dr. Carlin. Yeah. You can yeah. you can research us and contact the universities where we got our right. credentials. Right. Sure that we and, actually and, and are. And even beyond that. You know, there are doctors out there that are MDs um, and with other medical, you know, DCDO, 
uh, and they actually have the degree, but when you start looking at what they're putting out there and you start reaching a little deeper, they have turned into snake oil peddlers. They are no longer practicing legitimate medicine. They have their products that they're going to sell you that's the latest cure for this, that, and the other. Uh, and when you start looking at it, it sounds too good to be true, and it is too be good to be true. Some of these are actually very well-known personalities out there who are on TV and such. So I won't mention any names, but you even have to be watching out there. And when you're seeing them doing a lot of advertising for various products, be very careful. Go look right. at some additional resources. Well, Dr. Judy, believe it or not, our time has come to an end. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey. We're going to have to do this again, and you and I will have to be in touch offline because I want to continue the conversation with you and explore how we can collaborate with one another because you've got a great mind and a terrific heart, and I thank you for being our guest here today. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it so much. Great. You take care. And you do the same. We'll talk again soon. Great. So, friends, this is... Boy, oh boy, an information-packed episode. And my hope is that you'll do a number of things. Go over to drjudy.com, gododrjudy.com, and take a look at her website. It's really easy to navigate. She's got some great information on there. And the forms that she's willing to provide you with at no charge, I mean, all of this is without any charges associated, Take her up on the offer. Those forms are really important to have to keep you safe, whether you're conscious or in the event that you're not. The other thing I'm going to really hope that you do is that you consider going over to Amazon and picking up a copy of her book and mine right alongside it if you haven't already because we're invested in your future, in your well-being, your happiness. It's all wrapped into one package that's known as you. This is your host of The K-Factor today, where K equals kindness and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Signing off for today and wishing you health and well-being. Until next time.